Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Emmanuel Pesquera, Group Head of Wine for Gordon Ramsay's Restaurant Empire. On his own wine journey, how he and his team choose their wine list, the art of pairing fine dining, how we should make the best use of a sommelier's skills, and of course his own desert island wine. Gordon Ramsay must be one of the most famous names in fine dining. With a global brand, his London empire includes the Savoy Grill, Petrus, Lucky Cat and the flagship 1890 by Gordon Ramsay. And his right-hand man when it comes to wine, the head of wine across the group, is Emmanuel Pesquera, a trained chef who turned his skills to the art of pairing. So how did he do that and how does he and his team choose the wines that adorn the respective wine lists across those great restaurants? Well, I'm delighted to say Emmanuel has taken some time out from his travelling to source wines to uh, talk to us here on The Drinking Hour. Emmanuel, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Tell us about your own wine journey because... As I understand it, you started demonstrating a love of, of hosting hospitality at a very early age. Uh, yes, it is. My hospitality started from home. Uh, my mom used to call me, uh, still calls me the perfect host. <laughs> this is uh, where it's uh, kind of uh, all started at the beginning. Um, you know, my mom was a great cook. Father collected wine. Father Swiss, mother Portuguese. Still remember these lovely labels of uh, uh, Mouton Rothschild coming around the tables and so forth. Um, actually, grown up in a family where uh, education was uh, a must. My father worked for Microsoft for many years as a game designer. Uh, I even myself possess a master degree in game design, and uh, you see, I end up now in wine and food. Um, further that, I start doing what I loved. I my journey was quite simple, uh, but as well at the same time was uh, super complex because I always kind of wanted to always dream big and dream bigger than I wanted. And I always wanted to, uh, you know, go as far as I could. Um, So, you know, I naturally ascended, you know, through wide variety of roles within the hospitality industry, uh, was definitely with high performance and service delivery. Before I joined Gordon Ramsay uh, restaurants, um, I worked, I started as a chef on the Crystal Cruise Line, uh, then I moved into restaurant manager, then bar manager, 
then had sommelier. Um, you know, I, it's supposed to be a nine months contract to see the world. Um, end up doing 10 years of my life on a cruise ship. Uh, the vision on the beginning was to become uh, an FMB director. Uh, I always wanted to work in every little corner of hospitality to make sure and understand uh, what my team will feel if I ever will be their, their manager or their leader. And this is where the journey started. I then moved to UK in 2012. I worked with Eric Zwiebel, Master Sommelier, dropped down from head of beverage all the way down to assistant cellar master to understand the concept of UK, um, which where he was my mentor. I actually joined him when he was doing the world best sommelier, which is quite impressive to walk in into a room where you have a hundred wines to taste every breakfast, lunch and dinner, uh, which was quite, he used to call it breakfast for champion, which I agree fully. Uh, from there, I moved uh, in the same company, Red Carnation, uh, to central London, to the Milestone Hotel as FMB operation manager. And then after that, I moved to Oxford and Cambridge Private Member Club, then Intercontinental to open my first hotel, then speeding forward to Edwardian Hotel Group, as well as an FMB manager and director. And then from there, COVID unfortunately hit. And uh, then after that, I joined 67 Palmal just for a six-month refreshment and in-depth after one year back into uh, the wine world. However, in every position I have taken as an FMB manager, the wine was always under my wings uh, in terms of purchasing, training, uh, wine list, curated uh, food and beverage. And I had as well a huge finance background, so I was quite strong in all triangle, and I call it triangle of fire. You have the wine, you have the food, and you have the finance on the other yeah. side. Very important, yeah. uh, especially the finance, but uh, that's yeah. probably the most uh, boring part. Um, yes, it is. Uh, albeit very important. I'm very interested in the fact that you uh, started as a chef. Do you think that gives you a different perspective on wine and pairing? Ah, oh, huge. I believe... Being able to break down a dish when it stands or you read it in a menu, it's a huge advantage that you have as a sommelier when it comes to food and wine pairing. Because as we all know, on a dish there's always a protein, there's always the the vegetable element, and there's always uh, what we call the starch, could be a potato, could be a pasta, could be anything of that sort. There's always a triangle on the plate. And beside that is the jus and the sauce that you want to use, which is actually impact massively on the saltiness, sweetness, and the acidity of any wine you would like um, to recommend. Um, and, and, you know, having the diversity as well to be able to visit more than 3,000 cities around the world give me advantage in my experience to be able as well to taste and visit the places from all around the world. You know, talking about culinary in India, talking Japanese cuisine, uh, talking about the Italian cuisine. You know, we had two restaurants, Tristan Michelin, on board the ship, which is Piero Salvaggio and uh, Nobu Matsuhisa, you know, top uh, element uh, accolades in uh, in the world of fine food and as well having the finance as you said background it helps you breaking down the food into costings and be able to curate something an incredible journey uh, for the guest um, but this is one of the biggest question uh, with one of them is what makes a great sommelier i believe um, it's important that you know people understand how passion coming through the heart to the people uh, make things such a huge difference. It's like how the people feel after the first sip of wine, that liquid, you know, has 
you know, take you into a science, take you into history, take you into tradition, even to nature. This is uh, drinking wine, you know, for me, it's all about experience and that little touch of memories that you have in that moment. I was going to ask you what makes a perfect sommelier, but you've kind of answered that question with the word passion. Is that what you're looking for first and foremost when you recruit members of your team? I believe uh, beside passion is the attitude. I believe uh, if you have the right attitude, you can learn anything in life. Uh, we, we None of us grown up knowing what we know and finding what we love. Uh, but I believe the perfect sommelier is the epitome of expertise, passion, the service excellence in the world of wine. You know, they are not just connoisseurs, but they are guides and curators of an unforgettable experience. Uh, you know, at the heart of the craft, you know, lies as well that unparalleled depth of knowledge. Um, a perfect sommelier just, you know, just does not only knows about wine. Uh, they live and breathe them. You know, we breathe wine. We live with it 24-7. You know, our expertise is vast and comprehensive. Uh, but as well is how we are able as well to have the pleasure of sharing our knowledge with people. Uh, because this is what defects many multiple sommeliers and the difference between a great sommelier and a world-class sommelier. You know, as well as about the exceptional communication skills, um, able to convey complex concepts with clarity and passion, you know, to guide guests through the intricate world of wine with ease, make it accessible, enjoyable uh, for all. You know, passion is the driving force be behind every great sommelier. You know, the love for wine is palpable, infectious. You know, I call it infectious like a virus, you know, fueling their unsettable curiosity and driving them to explore new wines. You know, as well, perfect sommelier, you know, always keenly, uh, attuned to the needs and the preference of their guest is not about what they like. You know, they need to have an incredible listen, uh, listen capability, understanding each individual guest state, budget, occasion, uh, tailored recommendation, the delight and surprise is an equal measure. You know, throughout recommendation as well, uh, there is the forte uh, of beyond where suggestion, curating a selection of wine, that enhance the dining experience in every way. Um, we, we, sh we have to consider the flavor of the wine, but also how it complements the food and suits the, the, the mood of the occasion. You know, mm -hmm. except in service and the hallmark, you know, a wine can kill a dish as much can enhance a dish, depending on, on, on the selection and how you uh, approach this guest. You know, of course, they need to be as well vigilant. They need to be as well uh, continuous seeking of a new releases, emerging wine region, involving, you know, the consumer preference to stay at the upfront of their field. And uh, a perfect sommelier at the end is committed to continuous learning and improvement. Uh, you know, we never rest. Uh, that's the reality. If you really want to be on top of your game uh, and give an unparalleled guest experience to your guests. I noticed that with my friends who are, uh, sommelier and they are restless definitely uh for for knowledge and and the enthusiasm they have for a, a wine list wherever you are is is unbounded talking about the uh skill set you mentioned something there which i guess comes down to emotional intelligence because um, of course um, sometimes um someone's going to be hugely enthusiastic about wine like i am and i mm -hmm. actually want quite a lot of attention from the sommeliers mm. 
I want to yes. engage with the sommelier. Other times, uh, people are going to be very private. Uh, they might be on mm. a first date. Uh, they might be having a very difficult uh, situation personally. You never know. How do you go about judging how much to give? I believe a sommelier as well is a very psychologic person. Psychology in terms of sales and approach and reading a table is vital uh, for any successive experience. I think uh, guests, uh, you know, guests can make the best use of a sommelier skills by engaging them in collaborative dialogue, you know, communicating specific preference such as preferred grape variety, flavor profile, or even region uh, preferences help the sommelier tailor recommendation more precisely. In addition to providing a budget range, enable the sommelier to suggest wine that align with both taste preferences and financial considerations. You know, as well, trusting the sommelier expertise is crucial. Uh, while it benefits the communicate preference, being open to their suggestion, and allow the guests as well to explore the new wines that they might have not considered otherwise. You know, asking the questions, develop deeper in the recommendations, such as inquire about the wine characteristic or sustainability, sustainability, or maybe they wanted to choose the wine and then pair it with the, will choose the food after, can also enhance the guest experience. You know, and you know, for me as well as that effective communication, willingness to explore new flavor, and as well, you have to be able to read the room. A sommelier is not a robot just going take order, serve a wine and move to the next table. A sommelier is is almost like uh, being a conductor in an orchestra. Um, is you have to know how much time you want to spend with each table. As you mentioned, there's some dinners are business dinners. People don't want to know about where about the soil and so on and so on. I think if the guests want to know more characteristic beyond the limit that what a sommelier have in that little window of explanation, they will ask you. I think you shouldn't go outside of your window and go the extra miles and tell them that the soil is... Um, you know, characterized by clay, limestone, and this and that, and the vineyards south, east, west, they do not want to know about that. They want to hear a history about why they're paying so much for this wine. Because remember, we are selling pleasure. We are selling the experience. We are almost, uh, you know, uh, taking the money from people's pockets and giving them that world-class experience and different way of saying so you might have a guest that saves so much money to come into this dining experience and when I get the best out of the sommelier. And to be honest with you, you might have a romantic couple that just want to be with each other. You might have a family as well. You might have all colors of the rainbow, I call it. You know, it's like your fingers. They're all different sizes and they all have different fingerprints. And you have to be able to stand in that room and manage it. And when you feel that the table taking more time of yourself because... You have to be able to deliver the same service for a person who's drinking a Romani Conti, a DRC, and the other person who's drinking uh, a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. They all require and must be given equal service. And this is where you have to be honest. You just have to say, excuse me, and I, my attention is required as well somewhere else. And you have to fill the room as well. And I can't, this is a, it's a multi-million dollar question because it all depends on the guest, it all depends on the day, it depends on the mood of the room, it depends how many tables comes together because everybody needs the attention. And for me, uh, if, you, if you learn to be always consistent and believe that everybody's VIP and first impression, lasting impression, I think you can deliver the best world class service on earth.
Yes, and you're very good at doing that. At uh, <laughs> boy, I mean, I've, I've witnessed it uh, uh, myself. I'm, I'm interested in terms of how we, as uh, diners, as customers, uh, can make the best use of the skills of a sommelier. You touched on a number of things there. And price is an interesting one because people, I think, especially in this country, get very embarrassed about talking about mm-hmm. money. They don't want to look like they're uh, on a budget or that they're cheap in some way. It's OK to say what your budget is, is it? It depends. It depends if uh, you know the guest. I believe in terms of budget, the approach is to point out to the guest few suggestions from the line from the wine list with trying almost to read from left to right the producer. For example, you can say Domaine X pointing out 2018 vintage and they can automatically understand that the price is just right there on the right or bring them down 50 pound or 100 pound down and see where are they looking for and then go on the third suggestion maybe above the chassagne another 100 and see what they're expecting or you can just easily ask them what you usually drink to be honest with you and you come to a stage where they don't want to read and some of them just hang the wines to you in the hand and say you choose whatever i like which is this is the uh, i call it the headshots uh, because you're almost blind you don't know what to do you're almost just looking at the guest trying to understand what they there is a Louis Vuitton, maybe a Panerai watch, maybe a Gucci shoes. You, you're almost scanning that guest and understanding what they really want to, uh, how far they're willing to go. Um, and when I took it out sometimes, you know, you can just give them a glass of a specific wine for them to taste because for me, tasting a wine it actually kills any doubts. And it's no-brainer the cost for any company or any head sommelier will not allow his sommelier to do that because I believe that break the ice super quickly, build a relationship. I'm not saying look, go give every single guest go through that room a taste. You know your guests, you know which one are difficult. Uh, you are here to turn that difficulty into a pleasure and enjoyable evening, no matter how they are. And we all know that we can't please everyone. Well, we are here and work in hospitality and we have to love people. Uh, to work with people and that's very important yeah you mentioned earlier on that uh, uh, rightly that a wine uh, can kill a food if the pairing is wrong and vice versa of course Mm. a food can kill a wine so if someone orders something that you consider with your experience your expertise to be completely inappropriate uh, for the dish that they've chosen uh, how do you go about um, sort of trying to do something about it. Can you steer them away from that choice? I would say always, but I will feel a little bit cocky, which I'm not, uh, because I believe if you explain them that at the end of the day, a guest and the consumer drink the wine that they like. It does not matter if it goes with the food. It does not matter if it's a full-bodied South American uh, red wine, Malbec, or whatever you want to call it, uh, with a fish, if that's what they really want, that's what they really want. I think it's all about the way you communicate it to them. And you might say to them, well, the dish, a component, and that's where knowledge and chef uh, tradition that I have been through comes into a play massively. And a sommelier should be as much knowledgeable as the food on his menu, as much as he's knowledgeable of his wine. 
Um, it's very, very important. And this is where you break it down and you try to understand what they're looking for. Is For example, we had a guest a few months ago. The lady said, I only drink Malbec and I don't mind whatever is the dish. And I said, Madam, I'm here just to guide you through the wine list. Happily to recommend you something similar, a bit lighter in style. But if that's a choice that you usually wine, that you usually drink, I'm happy to serve it and bring the bottle over, of course. I'm just, it's important to understand because the biggest challenge that a sommelier have from a customer perspective, if they have been somewhere else and had a bad experience and they carry that over with them wherever they go. And it's very hard to turn the people around when other sommelier recommended something to them just because it's a wine that he wanted to sell without understanding what the guests look for. Um, that experience sometimes I've seen it many, many times, multiple times, especially with the wine pairings here that we have, uh, especially at 18, one of our restaurants at the Golden Ramsey is 1890 restaurant. We do six wine pairings. I have thought about it super psychologically from a guest pocket perspective, and many guests would like to go after that to have an after dinner drink somewhere else. So I have reduced the the price of the menu. At the same time, I have reduced the quantity that the guests can have, which is just perfectly enough with every dish. Uh, to allow them as well to have an aperitif, to allow them to have an after-dinner drink. And you need to have the flexibility. Uh, as you mentioned, we are, and as I say it over, we are here to guide them on this experience, not to tell them what to do. And this is where it can kill and break an experience. No matter where you are in the world, it doesn't matter if you are in a pub, if you are in a star Michelin restaurant, if you're in a casual dining, if you're super premium, no matter where you are. Yeah, and your financial experience is going to come in very handy when you have to make those decisions you mentioned around mm. pairing menus and so forth and, and quantities of wine and how to deliver uh, whilst people are also uh, looking after their own uh, budgets in a, a cost yes. of living crisis, I, I guess. Um, with that in mind, how do you, across the Gordon Ramsay empire, um, you obviously have a number of lists across different restaurants, uh, you have access to uh, to stocks of wine. How do you go about uh, balancing um, the perfect wine list? To be honest with you, balance don't exist. Um, we try we try to create and craft the perfect wine list because wine list for me uh, is an art. It's like painting. To have the final paint, you need to do rounds after rounds let the paint dry and then look at the painting and then say okay we need to do a little bit of you know the sky there and then maybe a little bit of take into the nature a little bit maybe a little bit more there and you have to let it dry and i believe we hire people to tell us what to do we hire had sommeliers to to bring their ideas uh, but many had sommeliers many had sommeliers get taken sometimes by the wind because they just put on the wine is what they like to put. They don't look after the concept. They don't look after what actually um, required uh, careful consideration and expertise. And first of most, utmost and foremost is understanding the guests is paramount, the guest preference, the guest expectation, uh, the budget, uh, pairing wine with culinary offering is where the magic truly happens. You know, each bottle on the list should be carefully chosen. Each bottle on the wine list should be carefully chosen. 
and as well uh, to complement the flavor of the dishes, enhancing the guest's experience at the end. You know, and uh, for me, the key element here is diversity, because uh, the perfect wine list boasts varieties and options spanning different region, different price points, um, and above all, for me, is the quality of the wines. Um, I I give you know we have to give full freedom to any head sommelier. Uh, to bring up the list up to standard and I'm only there to recommend and add the last tweaks uh, left and right and center beside you know I buy for the group massively I buy directly from vineyard as a, from suppliers I find a lot of incredible gems around the world and I try to make it is the head sommelier you know decision uh, bring it to them and make them understand how positive impact will be on his GP to be able to reduce possibly the prices on the high-end wines. Uh, because, you know, from a finance perspective, a wine that stands on the shelf as a dead soldier, uh, from a finance looking at the numbers. But when you're looking at curating the Empire wine list, you need to have a little bit of everything, uh, which could be enough. You need to have the budget from £45 to £80, you need to have the wines from 80 to 150. You need to have 150 to 200. You need to understand your sales mix. You need to understand what's happening around you in the UK in terms of Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day. Um, you need to spicy the offer. You know, for example, on the Savoy Grill, we're starting a venture next week. Uh, every Thursday, we will open a three-liter bottle, uh, which we will serve it in the room until the next Thursday. And every Thursday, we want to excite the guests for what upcoming. Uh, is coming as well over Petrus restaurant as well we were going to fame and shine Petrus itself possibly doing a vertical of multiple vintages and so on and so on so it's um, for me it's um, you need to look at familiar fla- familiar favorites for many guests including discoveries the, there's something for everyone you don't need to stay current with industry trends is essential um, you know, you have to keep your finger on the pulse of wine world, ensuring that the list remains fresh and exciting with new releases, emerging labels. We need to look after as well everybody, the alcoholic wines, uh, the vegan wines, uh, you know, the wines with the low alcohol or look after we talk the biodynamic side of it. You know, value for money for me is as well paramount. Um, you know, the perfect wine it should offer options across a spectrum of prices, ensuring that every selection provided exceptional quality. Um, you know, as well, education is also priority. Descriptions, short, concise tasting notes, accompaniment each wine when the sommelier is standing there. You know, interactive wine is possibly depend on the venue with maps. Um, interesting facts will empower guests to make informed choices. You know, we make them is make the journey not only about the experience, as about the lyrics as well educational. Uh, you know, and you know, at the end of the day, the perfect wine should be based on guest input, sales trend, involved tasting, and sure that the guest experience is nothing short than exceptional. There's so much to it. It's like. Uh spinning plates uh, rather than uh, buying wine but um, you mentioned trends there Uh, what sort of trends are you seeing at the moment uh, across um, the dining establishments that you oversee oh lately we have a trend on super high-end wines we for the last six months we have seen almost a full diversion 
in the guest expertise and knowledge. You know, the guests after COVID become more knowledgeable. Uh, many more attended WSET programs during COVID. Uh, they know that uh, more and more knows that, uh, you know, Internet is super close uh, to their heart as well. You know, they can easily just Google wine search, uh, Vivino, Mivino, whatever you want to call these apps uh, and find out if the price of this wine is actually reasonable. And it's very important and it's very vital. And as well, the trans people do not want to drink what they drink home. They come to you, they say, I like Malbec, can you give me something in the range of 80 to 120 pounds? And here you go as a sommelier, take them on that journey and then maybe bring them to 180 and 200 pounds with an incredible experience, something similar to Malbec in terms of characteristics, but something they will never pick from a wireless or from the shelf, or maybe sometimes drop the price below the price range they're looking for. Um, which build confidence because, you know, this is a returning guest, uh, building that rapport between you and them. And as well, in the same time, recommend the dishes as well from the menu, which many sommeliers forget to do on the floor over and over again. Uh, many sommeliers as well forget to say, would you like a second bottle? Uh, even if it's already almost they're going to pay the bill and you will be surprised. 90% of the people will have another bottle. Uh, you'd be as well surprised to to walk around. Uh, I think one of the greatest magic which you have seen lately is when I asked the head sommelier to ask one of his team members to go around with a five liter of uh, towny port. Just walk in the room and you will be again surprised how many people will say, can I have a glass of that? Or what is that? Mm-hmm. It's very psychological and people want that experience like what we have done in 1890. Who, who's in the world ever serve a wine from a 27 liter bottle, super rare, ultra rare, encore avant as well. So you can say to your friends and families and whoever you see outside, oh, you know, we have been to this restaurant and serving wine from 27 liter, the only wine in the world ever been served from 27 liter, uh, from Quinta de Vacaria, from Portugal, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I believe people see Hat Sommelier as a Hat Sommelier, but or head of wine, or group head of wine, or wine director, but I think there's so much down underneath that floor, you know, where it's almost like a vine. You can see the top part of the vine, the trunk, and the grapes, and the leaves, but whatever the vine is working underneath that soil to dig deep, and how much consistency and hard work in terms of stock rotation, ordering, accountability, stock take, which is a nightmare of everybody, as we know, um, fulfilling guest experience, rotating the wines on a monthly basis, and then doing all these kind of elements, which is absolutely vital, which people don't see what we do behind the scenes, reprinting wines on a daily basis, at the same time tasting, training, consistency of the team, support. <laughs> There's many elements come into it. Yeah, and actually the stock taking sounds really boring, but actually um, it's where people can go very wrong as well. It could break the business if you didn't do the stock taking uh, properly, of course. So it's uh, it's one of those really important uh, plates again, uh, if we come back to spinning plates. Uh, talking of which, um, the way you provide an experience uh, to the diner when you and the team appear at once. Uh, we're talking here about the, the, the waiting team providing the food uh, as well as the wine team. Uh, there's an extent to which it's almost like going to the theatre. It's like a performance. Well, 100%. I mean, we are in hospitality. We are on stage all the time. 
we are performing on the time we are selling pleasure and and we know from the moment that guest stepped into that restaurant they should be greeted with that warmest of welcomes uh just the beginning of a perfect dining experience from the front of house team or the heartbeat of the restaurant from the host who welcome the guest with a genuine warmth uh to the server who anticipate guests need uh, before before they even realize them every member of the team play a crucial role in crafting a together experience even the person the last person who gives the guest's bill and even the receptionist who pull the coats on for them when they leave you can't miss on any part of that experience it is not about the, the head sommelier it's not about the restaurant director it's every single element has to work in sync to deliver a wow experience. Imagine you go to a restaurant, you spend it 5,000 pounds, you ask for the bill, you waited 25 minutes, what's gonna happen? You're only gonna remember that and the wines and the food and the bill you paid. Or even you spend 120 pounds and you're waiting for the bill for 25 minutes, you're gonna be irritated, you're gonna be looking around for someone to get attention. That's why every little element from the kitchen to the front of house, to the service of wine, so from the moment you book it, your your experience, the moment you leave, that personal touch uh, has to be absolutely incredible. You know, the staff should be always have enough knowledge as well to be able to guide the guests through the culinary, knowing not only about food, uh, knowing about wine, hence why we as a company, as Gordon Ramsay's, we are going to be from March WSET educators. We're gonna run our own courses in-house, which is this is something new for our wine program. We want to make sure and ensure that every single member of our staff front of house have a minimum of WSET level one, possibly two and three in wine and possibly in spirits, depend on their positions um, in the group. As well, uh, not only that, we have to find the perfect dish and wine to satisfy the guest crafting need. That's why we do a bespoke wine room and chef's table and Petrus and River Restaurant and RGR, Royal Hospital Road and Lucky Cat and many others. You know, it's um, it is a pivotal. You know, that the kitchen, the service team work in perfect harmony to ensure that the meal is not only delicious but also served in an impeccable timing. Uh, creating uh, a dining experience that flows effortlessly from the start uh, to the finish. And you know, uh, and the secret ingredient for me is adaptability because we need to adapt to the moment. We don't know what's coming through the door. We have to smile. The whole team must understand that every guest is unique with their own preferences, dietary need, dietary requirement needs, and must be willing to always go the extra mile to cater to the guest wishes, ensuring that world-class dining room, uh, dining experience. It's interesting you mention uh, waiting <laughs> to pay the bill because that is a bane of my life. Just occasionally that goes wrong in a restaurant, not yours. And um, it's uh, it's infuriating. And you're right, it's, it's a very small detail. And I might have had an amazing dining experience, but waiting to pay the bill longer than you think you would like to wait is a um, a, a real pain so it's um it's it's that uh, attention to detail that you talk about that i think's um so important which brings us neatly onto the boss of course uh because uh, he's uh, a perfectionist uh, gordon ramsay is um famous for his attention to detail and he's famous full stop uh because we all know his uh, tv persona uh, what's he like to work for Oh, he's an amazing person. 
um, that I get asked this question every time I meet somebody new when I'm on my travel. Oh, is he the chef using the F word and blah, blah, and so on and so on. I said, no. In person, he is, you know, he's magical. He uh, gives every, he allows dream to come through, to be honest with you. Um, if I wouldn't have his, uh, his support and executive team support for me to be able to go on this uh, most incredible uh, wine journey, taking responsibility for... Uh, group like this and for me to be able to grow in, in almost two and a half years from head sommelier to a restaurant uh, which i have we have taken uh, to a star michelin last month to running as a head of wine for three restaurants and now as a group head of wine uh, for uk and you know for me the limit is endless maybe my dream is bigger um, and than that which i know but the limit for me and there's no limit limit is the sky and in person as well he's um, he gives you all the tools you need to deliver that world-class experience. There is no shortcuts on anything. There's no shortcuts on little small attention to details. You know, the the scenery, the room, the lighting, the music, the uniforms, uh, the tools, the table settings, the cutlery, the uniforms, the everything has to be absolutely perfect. You know, I I compare it to when you go to a vineyard and you go visit their cellar and you see that every single oak barrel is lined up in perfection, that tells you that this vineyard is not only perfect in making wine, but it's actually perfect in looking in every little small details. And, you know, Gordon make us flip because, you know, he believes in his people. He believes in hiring smart people and people who are knowledgeable in their field, uh, for every field. And, you know, the respect I have for him and any executive member of uh, Gordon Ramsay is, is massive to allow me to do what I'm great at. Uh, you know, you can't give a baker a car to fix the motor, but you can give a baker wheat to, make, to bake a cake or make a bread. I think everyone is great at something in this world. Uh, everybody is magic in something. And I think if you find that talent in someone, you have to allow this person to deliver. And the same like you said to rating food and wine pairing. I mean, when I when I started working uh, for 1890 restaurant and Gordon himself, and I said to everyone, I'm doing a six wine pairings. Everybody said, are you crazy? I said, yes, I am. I said, what is it? I said, I want to give a guest something that no one ever done. I want to take these guests on a journey. I want to give them non-alcoholic pairing. I want to give them for every single budget from the discovery pairing, which is incredible and outstanding to the Escoffier pairing, and I'm even curate something, maybe ten thousand pound if the guest if the guest want, which we have done. But it's all about for me is that liaison that I have with with the chef uh, James Sharp. You know, we sit down, we, we we taste together, we work with each other, we help each other. Sometimes I ask him to add a specific touch to the dish. Sometimes he asks me. Maybe we do a lighter style of wine and I bring it over. And it's a, it's a two-way street communication because at the end of the day is what can we create for a guest experience. This is what is uh, so important. And then we have to understand as well every restaurant concept. Every restaurant has a unique identity, has a culinary ethos, have a discerning preference of you know, our esteemed clientele, as well, it's it's meticulously constructed, you know, ensuring seamless integration with the overall dining experience, no matter how you feel. 
And this is what this Golden is about, is creating the world-class experience home away from home uh, for every single guest and make sure that we are found and we are a great value for money, which is very important. You know, it's, it takes a huge, um, you know, for me is finding uh, well-regarded classics to undiscoverable gems. You know, each bottle is selected to captivate and interview even the most discerning palates. You know, every wine on the wine list is chosen for its exceptional uh, craftsmanship and the representation of pinnacle of enology artistry uh, source from specific vineyard around the globe. You know, we are transporting this vineyard to, to the room, to the restaurant in mm. a few seconds. Uh, yeah, we first impression is, is 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 the last impression. That's what kills it or makes it happen. Well, you mentioned there that uh, he's uh, very uh, trusting, Gordon Ramsay, and of course he trusts you with the uh, the checkbook to go off and find some gems around the world. And I was lucky enough to, uh, when I was in the Savoy a few weeks ago, you treated us to an eighteen eighty one Bastardo uh, Madeira. Uh, it was yeah. uh, quite incredible. Um, it is now officially the oldest thing that I have ever tasted. And um, you found that uh, on a visit to Madeira in a private home, I think, on a shelf. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, correct. Tell us the story. Correct. So, you know, hunting on wine, sometimes it happened unexpectedly, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm I'm almost I'm super curious. I curious enough like a cat to always try something new. Um, like when they ask me sometimes, what is your favorite wine? I, I don't have a favorite wine to be honest with you. Favorite wine is depend on my mood, depend on my day, depend on the company, depend who's drinking it with me. We all have favorite. Yes, we want to drink Costuri and Romani Conti and Petrus and all that every day. But it's not that about. It's about finding something that first of all it's unique as you mentioned finding something exclusive uh, for me it's very important to have the exclusivity of something because that allow us as well to bring an experience with no other uh, hospitality place can bring to the table and on top of that as well finding things that possibly distinguished um, in the world of wine um, in particular which is something ultra rare you know, Bastardo, we know, has been made maybe nine vintages only by Henrique Enrique and other houses, and Ramos and many others. <clears throat> 1927, or I believe, is the last vintage they ever done. Then was distinguished because it's a grape, it's wild, um, it's very hard to produce, and it's it's a great variety for me. It's super special uh, because it doesn't belong to the law. It can be from sweet to dry, but it doesn't belong to the law itself. Um, and the idea behind that, you know, sitting in that restaurant, having wherever I go, I don't go to Star Michelin's, to be honest with you. I don't go to super high end restaurants. Uh, I live with it and breathe it here in the UK 24 seven. I like to go to the locals. I like to speak to the locals. I like to understand um, what they're doing, how they try to do their house wine, house red. Uh, same in Bordeaux, same anywhere I go. And I would like to find something where they have behind the scene and they don't want to show it to anybody. And the beauty about that, it was a, it was a bottle uh, standing on the shelf. Uh, you know, in Madeira, they put, you know, Madeira is a wine, it's fortified by nature. 
you know, it's you can heat it, you can cool it. It doesn't change the quality of it. You can open a bottle, drink a glass today, and drink a glass in two years' time. It will never change. So it doesn't matter if it's standing on the shelf or in the cellar or your cave. It doesn't make difference to the wine itself, except when you want to serve it, it's recommended to be slightly, slightly more fresher and chiller. Um, and this bastardo actually was standing on, on the shelf and I asked for a Madeira list and the lady said, there is no Madeira list. There is whatever you see there. Uh, but if you like, I said, do you have a me uh, as a curiosity? She said, I have everything. You want Tarantes? Usually it's my, one of my favorites. Uh, Madeira wines, Terrantes. So I said, if you want to try, I have a Bastardo. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, why not? I didn't ask the vintage. I didn't ask where it was. Um, and I was sitting there with a good friend of mine. His name is Claudio Martins. Uh, he knows superbly well about Madeira and Portuguese wines, um, which we did the venture of underwater wine together as well. So he he said to me, Chipur, that's the lady with the wine. And there was nothing on the label. And I grabbed that glass, and uh, I honestly can't describe it by word um, to me. Uh, it's almost like you ask a painter, how can I paint uh, uh, a tear of, of coming out from the eyes of a woman? You can't paint that. This is super emotional. And almost the word stopped. Uh, it almost took me out of there and put me in a box. And it took me almost 10 minutes to respond to the wine itself. Uh, when I smelled it, you know, it took me to a history, to a place, to people. I didn't know how old it was. I thought it was roughly around 70 years old, something like that. But the wine was 143 years old. Um, I tasted the wine and, and this is when the magic happened. And I looked at Claudio and Claudio looked at me and he said, what in the world is that? I said, to be honest with you, I know it's Bastard, but I don't believe she knows what is inside of that bottle. That was the conversation. The question was, uh, what is that? And then uh, she took us uh, in the back, where she had the still the little uh, glass uh, demijohn, which she used to fill these bottles from it, the, the demijohn that you have seen in the Savoy Grill. And I said to her, do you want to sell the wine? And she said, no, this wine is not for sale. Uh, and I said, so how can we how can we buy some of this wine? And then the first trip, she said, was not for sale. So for us, we went to to make sure that this is registered. So we checked with the, with the DOP of Madeira, and it was actually registered as uh, one of the uh, two oldest pastadas that actually still exist. Um, and the only amount she has was two demijons, nothing else. So for me, it was a lost case. She doesn't want to sell it, and so on and so on. And Claudia said, just leave it with me. I will have a further discussion. So the only way where she going to give us this wine is actually we had to give her um, in replacement of a Tarantes, uh, 50 years old, for her to continue consuming as long as she lives. Um, so we gave her in return 50 liter of Tarantes, 50 years old, and that's how we managed to, to get this wine, which is this treasure. And, you know, I believe for me as the one of the oldest bastard I ever tried in my 20 years in hospitality. Uh, I have tried older than that, Terrantes from 1795. I have tried the Verdelio from 1776. Uh, most of them are available here in 1890 restaurant. Uh, we even have a Cercial, Quinta de Lobo, 1880. Uh, we even have 1789. Uh, we have uh, a huge collection of Madeira. Uh, almost gather more than 12 vintages or to 14 vintages before 1900s. 
Uh, as well, we added on top of that, there is Valt Ombre from, uh, from Gérard Bertrand. Almost 80 vintages goes all the way back to 1890. 
a beautifully intense expression with crunchy floral aromatics, mace and white pepper, Brazil nuts, eucalyptus and furniture polish, sweetness up front with spiced baked apple, chocolate caramel and tropical fruit. Bitter walnuts give wonderful depth and balance to the sustained finish. Wow. From the same stable, Doliveras Boal, 1992. Gold medal winner, 95 points, 100% Boal, more than 30 years ageing on this. The panel's tasting note says it's sensationally deep and beguiling, with a complexity of rich caramel, nuts and toffee with hints of savoury maturity. Lean, mineral-driven and abundantly spicy, with multi-layered smoke and powerful oak intensity on the lingering finish. Staying in Portugal for one more, an unusual field blend this from uh, the Dow region, a gold medal winner with 96 points, Casa da Passarella, Abanico Reserva 2021. Actually had a bottle of this, enjoyed it recently at home. Excellent wine and the panel thought so too. Here's their tasting note for that gold medal. Broad aromatics offering ripe peach, lime and floral notes leading to layers of fruit, toasted bread and salted caramel on the palate. The hit of sweetness is expertly balanced by wonderful acidity and oak is well integrated throughout. A charming wine with wonderful purity of fruit. Well, Emmanuel's job is to source interesting, enticing wines from all over the world. Here's an unusual sweeter treat from uh, France, Maison Castel, Terra Vitis, Petit Manseng, 2021. It won a gold from a panel including a couple of masters of wine and a master sommelier. And they describe an enticing and complex nose of mango, Seville orange and pineapple. The palate bursts with honeyed and nutty notes along with dried mango. The sweetness is balanced by great lifted acidity and sustains the fruit to the end of its long finish. Excellent, they said. And still sweeter, but no doubt balanced because it's a gold medal winner from one of Germany's great names, Dr. Lucen, Velena Sonnenur, Riesling, Trocken, Beer and Auslaser, 2013. The panel, overseen by another of our friends on the drinking hour, Sarah Abbott, MW, said this, such an attractive nose of ripe fruits, honey, marmalade and elegant floral notes, all set against a stunning amber background. The palate is complex and multi-layered, showing amazing concentration with laser acidity and a great finish. Still quite fresh. Much more to come, they said. Well, yes, there's much more to come from us too. My thanks to Emmanuel for a great chat and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that and until next time, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.